this series called um, In the Crushing or Made New in the Crushing. And um, Dawn doesn't know this, but uh, she texted me the other night and said, you know, I'm speaking next week. What scripture do you want me to uh, preach out of? And I was like, oh, man, I forgot. Um, so what do I do now? I'm like, uh, well, I've got, I've got two things in my mind right now, like one well, I can speak this week and one I can speak next week. So I'm just going to give her the choice. And uh, she chose the one that I was wanting to do tonight. So, yeah. So I just, I began to think. And uh, Kenny, uh, I think it was Kenny, told me, just preach what you're passionate about. So I did. I'm going to. Uh, this whole idea of um, this song called New Wine, the one we just got through singing, is um, it's talking about uh, wine and the wineskins and how Jesus said you can't put new wine in old wineskins. And uh, I thought it would be fitting to talk about that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, if you brought your Bible. I don't know why I'm nervous right now. I'm really nervous. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verse 33. That's my big bread. I didn't tell you that, bro. So it says, One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why your disciples always eating and drinking. So it says that John the Baptist's disciples fast, and so do the Pharisees. They fast and they pray like they do it all the time. Well, they get that from the Old Testament, right? So, like, you got the Pharisees who are, like, the religious leaders of that day, and they do everything by the book. They know the law, like, the back of their hand. They think of the Ten Commandments. You think of the Ten Commandments, you think of the law, well, it's not only that, like they added some to it, you know, like hundreds of more things, you know, like there's certain ways you wash your hands, there's certain ways you eat, there's certain things you do, certain uh, motions that you make, certain ways you fast, certain ways you pray. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things they started like adding to this religiosity, you know, and uh, they were really good at it, like they were really good at being religious and they had like really nice clothes that make them like when they went out into public people knew oh those are godly people so like they had these really nice robes and like they spoke really you know they uppity and they they knew God like these people knew God as you know people thought because these are the Pharisees these are the people who know the law these are people who memorize the Bible and all this other kind of stuff and some people asked him, you know, there's different accounts, like, you know, there's four different Gospels, and like two of them was talking about how John the Baptist, you know, he was the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus, if you remember him, and he's the one who said that, hey, there's someone who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals, and uh, John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus, and, you know, he was preparing the way for Jesus, so John the Baptist is a big deal, but he had some disciples that did not actually, like, stop following John the Baptist when Jesus came. They kept following John the Baptist instead of Jesus. So they had, he had some disciples, and then the Pharisees were also there, and they were like, hey, Jesus, 
why do your disciples not fast and pray like we do? You know, y'all don't do it at all. Y'all are always eating and y'all are always drinking like it's, like it's nothing, like y'all don't ever fast and pray. And we'll see the thing is that there's no Old Testament requirement for fasting, which is the weird thing. Like there's no like, requirement on how much you fast or what you fast from or whatever. It's just, you know, there's, there's just fasting. It's not telling you a way to do it like, hey, you need to fast twice a week and you need to do this and throw ashes on you and rip your clothes and, you know, mourn all this other kind of stuff, which is what they do. And there, there's no requirement for that besides it's, uh, there's a thing called the Day of Atonement and, you're, you know, you're supposed to fast for that and, like, get your mind prepared on it and stuff like that. But there's really no Old Testament, like, hey, you need to fast twice a week kind of thing. But there's this uh, story in the Bible where there's this Pharisee and then there's this uh, guy who is, like, poor and he's, you know, a sinner, he's wretched, like he does all kinds of bad stuff. And this Pharisee was like, uh, Jesus was kind of like off in the distance or whatever, and, and the Pharisee came up to him and was like, you know, thank God I'm not like that sinner over there. You see, the sinner did not want to go up to Jesus because he felt unworthy. But the Pharisee walks up to Jesus because he's worthy, right? He's He's got the nice clothes, he's, he's ready to go, he prays, he fasts, he knows all the laws, he washes his hands a certain way, he washes his feet a certain way, he knows all the stuff, he's got it, he's good, he's going up to Jesus with confidence because he knows, like, hey, I'm good. But he goes up, he says, I fast twice a week, and goes on this long list, but he says he fasts twice a week. He's fasting twice a week. Like, I don't even know how you fit that in. Like, you fast for like 24. So you go two days a week without eating. That, that's good. Like, that's okay if you do that. Like, that's fine if that's you. But what I'm saying is, is he was saying, I fast twice a week. The reason why he was fasting was for his own self-gain. The, these Pharisees would, like, like, rip their clothes and, like, throw ash on them. So they look all dirty. They look sorrowful. They had, like, you know, drowsy eyes. They're going into public. They're, like, they're mourning and stuff like that. They're letting people know, hey, I'm fasting right now. They never did it the way it was supposed to be done. You see, even Jesus fasted. Jesus fasted for 40 days. And he did it the right way, though. And how do you do that? In Matthew chapter 16, I don't guess we'll flip there, but Matthew chapter 16 says to comb your hair and to smile and to, and to just be presentable, really. It's just not, don't let anybody know that you're fasting. You do it in your privacy because the people who do it for outward appearance so, so that people can look at them and say, hey, they're godly. Those people have already received a reward. What does it mean But when he said that? Those people have received a reward because people are praising them. People are like, oh, yes, you're godly, whatever. I know we don't see that much now, but back in that day, religious, you know, religious stuff was like a big deal. Everybody wanted to be religious. Everybody wanted to be like a Pharisee. But like, everybody's like praising them, like, oh, yay, good job. You fasted twice this week. You're amazing. You're a wonderful guy. And you pray in public, and you have elaborate words. And like, everybody's pray. They, they work for the praise of men. That is their only reward. Whereas the person who fasts in, in his own privacy and, and goes to his closet to pray because he wants to just be him and, the, and God or, or her and God and just go in there and be with God. And they're doing it for the right reasons. And their reward is in heaven. You see, but they wanted, they wanted the people to look at them and see their religiousness and stuff. And it says... 
I don't want to. I don't want to read that yet. I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 53. This is what's funny about the uh, about the Pharisees. Actually, it's Isaiah. Hang on a second. 58, not 53. What's funny about the Pharisees? They know the Old Testament like the back of their hand, right? They know the law. They know everything. What's funny is uh, the Old Testament talks about how wrong it is to fast for those reasons. Fasting is like, you know, abstaining from food, if you know what that means. I forgot to say that part. It's what it says. God tells Isaiah to say this. He says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people of Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted, delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and yet you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, God responded. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, which is repentance. You're going through the motions of repentance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is that what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind your people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. What really got me is that it says, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of repentance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. Every Wednesday... Every Sunday, when we talk about, you know, it's like, okay, let's pray right before the message, which sometimes I struggle with that because I don't want to just come up here and repeat some words. But what do we do? We all bow. And it's made me think, like, is God pleased when we meet? When we all meet together, is he pleased with our hearts? Because, you know, meeting together doesn't mean anything. Just like fasting for the wrong reasons, he said, do you really think that's doing anything for me? God's like, do you really think that's going to please me? You just, you know, they said, we've been really hard on ourselves. Like, you don't even notice that we're being hard on ourselves. We're fasting. We're starving for you, God. But he's saying they pretend to want to be near him. My question is, is that your heart when you come in here? Do you pretend to want to be near God, or do you really want to be near Him? It's a really hard question, because you have to be honest with yourself. No one can tell you that, which, by the fruits of your life, someone might be able to tell you that, by how you talk, what you do, what you look at. They might be able to tell you that, but you have to answer that for yourself. Do you really desire to be near God? And he says, the kind of fasting I want you to do is to feed your neighbor, to clothe the person who doesn't have good clothes. I want you to 
to not wrongly oppress your people that you, if you hired, if you're a boss. I want you to stop doing these things. That's what I want you to fast from. I want you to fast from selfishness. I want you to fast from doing all these things. I, don't, I want you to stop doing those things. I don't want you to stop eating so that you think that it's impressing me. That's not what I want you to do. And that's what these Pharisees are doing. They're like, hey, why don't you fast and pray like we do? He's talking to God in the flesh and his disciples. So, hey, why don't y'all do this? I'm trying to catch him in something. I'm trying to let him know, hey, we're more godly than you. I'm talking to a perfect human being, Jesus. Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. What that's saying is, Jesus is considered the groom. The church is considered the bride. And so while the groom is with the bride, see, fasting is, the, the heart behind fasting is deep prayer, like deep focus on something. Like, I'm not even going to focus on food. Like, I don't need food as much as I need God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take food off the table here, and I'm going to say, God, I need you. I need your direction, and I'm going to focus on you. I'm not going to focus on food. I'm not going to focus on my phone. I'm not going to focus on... That's the heart of fasting, and to be like, you're not happy while you're fasting because you're seeking something, and you're not, you're not happy about not knowing the answer. It's like, I want to be near God. I don't feel near to God. I feel the distance, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. I'm going to let God know, like, hey, I need you with a true heart saying, God, I need you. I don't need anything else. I need you. And so he says, why would you fast when you have me here? You should be happy. You should be joyful while I'm here. But when I go, Jesus the groom, when he leaves, the bride is going to want him back. And so that's when you start to fast. Like Jesus, like the heart behind fasting is wanting him to return or wanting him to be near you as you walk on this earth. That's the heart behind fasting. So he says that one day the groom will be taken away from them. That's when he dies. And he goes to the cross and he dies. And when he rises again, he then goes into heaven. And that's when you will fast. That's when we're, we're now getting into the meat of it. It says, then Jesus gave them this illustration. It's a picture. He's giving us a picture. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment, the new clothes, would be ruined, and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. So what he's saying is that if you have a hole in your shirt that you wear every day, you're not going to go get a new shirt, cut out something in that new shirt to patch this old one. Because you know what happens when you wash a new shirt? The fabric shrinks. So if you cut out a hole big enough for the hole on your shirt, it's going to shrink. And it's not going to match, first of all. Second of all, it's going to ruin the new shirt. It just doesn't work. You can't patch an old shirt with a new one. It just doesn't work that way. And then he goes on to say this. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. They say, the old is just fine. See, this, this thing that, you know, used to make wine in animal skins, right? 
Now, I've explained this a couple of times, but just to go in a little bit more detail, what they would do is they would take grapes. They'd take a cluster of grapes, and on the outside of each grape is, is yeast and bacteria. And you see, the thing about fruit is, you know, an apple, uh, um, an orange, whatever, there, there's, a, there's a covering on the outside. The grape is the same way. And that's how the seed on the inside is protected. And it, the, the inside, the fruity part of it, is protected from its environment. And so, like, the skin doesn't allow anything into it. But when you crush that skin, and when you begin to crush, and you begin to press those grapes It makes this mushy substance. And now all of a sudden, what was on the outside of those skins now can reach the inside. And so now the yeast and all the bacteria and all that is getting into the grapes. And they put this into uh, animal skins and they sew it up real tight, airtight, where there's no oxygen being able to get in and out of there. And so the yeast and the bacteria on the outside of those grapes now is inside it, and all the sugars that were on the inside is now getting eaten by the bacteria. And the more that bacteria eats up those sugars and takes those away, the more alcohol is produced. That's what the fermentation process is. It's a lot more complex than that. That's just my understanding of it. So that's how it's made. And it's in those those skins. There's no oxygen running in and out of it. Well, in that whole process, when bacteria do, does the things that it does, it releases these gases, just like we do when we eat, you know? We release a little gas here and there, you know? Uh, so, don't laugh. So, I'm trying to be serious here, but I started to think about it. But, so, now we're good. We're good. But, so, it's releasing some gas. It's releasing heat. And the more it produces, the more the wineskins stretch. And... It stretches and stretches and stretches until finally these people, they know when to take the wines out because you can only produce up to like 15% alcohol into the, in, the, in the wine because once you're above 15% alcohol in the wine, now the bacteria begins to die. So they have to time it just right, and by that time, the, the skins are stretched as max, and they know when to take it out. But you see, what happens is when they... Unsew the wine, so they rip it open and they pour the wine out into a cup or whatever. They have to throw those old wine skins away because now there's no elasticity to them. So if they were to crush up some more grapes and produce some more wine, they could not put in these old wine skins because then it would stretch beyond capacity. Then it couldn't do it. It would rip. So why is Jesus talking about this? Like, why would he say, like, you can't put a new garment to patch an old garment? Why would he say you can't put new wine in old wineskins? Why would he say that? Because the Pharisees were trying to mix the old way in with the new way. And what's crazy is, is they had the old way wrong the whole time. It doesn't even make sense, but he's trying to tell them, hey, you're trying to mix in the old way of doing things which is the law, but you got it wrong. See, here's the thing is the, the law was supposed to, to, to increase your morality, supposed to show you, in fact, that you are not perfect. See, the, a lot of people think the Bible is full of rules that we have to follow. No, that's the whole point, is that he gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us the law so that we could see in our eyes that we cannot 
meet the perfect standard of God. We can't do it. We, say, we see all ten commandments and we're just like, we can't do that because when we hate somebody, it's like committing murder. And we look on someone with lust, it's like committing adultery. And, and we can't steal, but when we cheat, we're stealing. It's like, oh my God, I can't keep all these laws. I can't do it. I've fallen so many times. That's the point. It's for you to recognize your need for a Savior. Because you know that you cannot get to God by keeping these laws because you've already failed so many of them. But the Pharisees thought, I'm going to keep these. They had an outward appearance of perfection, yet inwardly they were so pious and, and prideful. And God opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. He's saying you cannot put the old way of doing things in with the new. You can't do it. It's impossible. They don't mix. And this is what it says. I want y'all to, to hear this. It says, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. They don't want the new wine because the old is just fine. It's, it's working for me. It's working just fine for me. Why would I change? Why would I change anything? See, it's about the desires of your heart. What you want. It says they don't want the new wine. They don't want the new way. They don't desire it. You see what God does when he comes into your life? I'm going to tell you, this is how you know whether you're a Christian or not. Whether the desires of your heart have changed. From desiring sin, desiring the world, or desiring God most of all. Because I have so many people ask me, and I know a lot of people struggle with this, like, and I even struggle with this. It's like, how can I call myself a Christian when I continue to sin? Why do I still struggle with sin? It's because the, the sin is, is still there in your life. It's the desires of your heart that's different. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, the sin wasn't chewing the fruit up and them going out of the garden and now outside of God's will. Now they're in sin because they chewed on some fruit and swallowed it. No, it's when they reached for the fruit and they desired the fruit when they desired God. That's when sin entered into the world because they desired something else more than they desired God. That's what sin is. And so you will continue to sin your whole life. Yes, because we're in a fallen world full of sin everywhere, around every corner. You cannot just lock yourself in a room and not continue to sin. Sin's in your heart. It's in your mind. It's everywhere. Sin's everywhere. You can't hide from it. But the difference is, is when you want God more than you want sin. When you want God more than literally everything in your life, everything in your life revolves around God now, not around you. And you know that your heart has changed when you begin to have those desires. I remember walking away right when I gave my life to Christ. My whole life wasn't different at that moment. No one could tell on the outside whether my actions have changed or not. No one could tell in that very instant. But I walked away from that moment knowing that something was different inside of here. Something was different inside of here. And then later on, Later on, as I began to follow my new desires, did I still struggle with sin? Yes, I did. But I began to make changes in my life because my desires were different. I no longer desired to go to certain places with certain people. I no longer desired to want to smoke this or smoke that. I no longer desired to drink this or drink that. I no longer desired those things because I had something that was way better now. I had something that was actually satisfying my soul, whereas alcohol, drugs, sex, and nothing could do that, and I knew it. And it was like you keep going back to sin 
You keep going back to sin thinking it's going to satisfy you this time and this time. And it keeps drawing you back in and spitting you back out, drawing you back in. But then when you meet God, you're like, this is what my soul was longing for the whole time. Now I have it. So you can tell whether you're a Christian or not based on the desires of your heart. But here is what I'm going to tell you this. The thing that I am most passionate about, the thing that, that literally haunts me day in and day out, I wake up thinking about it, I go to sleep thinking about it, I go to work, it's on my mind all day long, and this is what I think about all day, every single day, is where I live, like, I don't fit in here, I feel like. I, there's a lot of people in this room that probably don't fit in in the South, right? Because here I'm going to tell you, here's the general outlook of Christianity in the South. And I don't know what the rest of the world is like. I'm just guessing that we're the only place that really does this to this extreme because we're called the Bible Belt. I know that everybody knows this area as the Bible Belt. You know, you got like Georgia and Mississippi. Like we, we're the Bible Belt. Everybody's a Christian here. Everybody is. No matter you ask somebody's grand, so you ask somebody over here, it's like, well, my grandma's Christian, so I'm a Christian. Or you ask, you know, this person over here, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm in a church a couple times. Like, you know, like I, I'm a Christian. Everybody's a Christian here. Unless you're just outright like, no, I don't want God, and that's very few and far between. Now here's, here's what I'm most passionate about. The fact that we try to fit in our lifestyle in with God's lifestyle. We try to fit our desires, what we want out of life, We try to mold God into this image, and then we have this big, giant mess of an explosion. This is what we call cultural Christianity. I guess if you want to put a name to it, I don't like calling it that because then all of a sudden we have a definition, and then all of a sudden we start abusing definitions, okay? Like, that's not what I want. What I'm saying is we have people who want their lifestyle in with God's lifestyle, and we mix it together, and now we have a bunch of Pharisees walking around. So we read this story and we're like, oh, you bunch of Pharisees, like you shouldn't want that. Like, you know, you understand you're talking to Jesus here. Well, like all I'm saying is that that could be us. That could be us. As a matter of fact, the majority of people I talk to, whether it's at work or in the grocery store or at youth camp or where, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying the majority of the people I talk to legitimately think they are a Christian. They legitimately think they are a Christian, and they're not. Do you guys understand how scary that is? And do you understand how crazy that makes my mind? Because I'm walking like, they, they say they're a Christian, but I don't really, I don't, I don't know. Like, what is a Christian? I don't know, because I'm just like, not everybody could not be a Christian. You know, it's like, it seems like 99% of the people I talk to that say they're a Christian are actually not Christians. It blows my mind. Blows it like, I cannot even wrap my mind around that fact. And when I meet a real Christian, I'm like, you're a Christian too? Like, oh, that's so awesome, you're a Christian. You know, it's like, but you can't say that to everybody. It's like, well, like, you're in, you're in Walmart, you know, you're picking out some chicken or something, you know, the poultry section, and you're like, and somebody says, you know, like, praise God. You know, oh, hey, you, you're a Christian? You know, or you hear somebody at the, you know, at the counter or whatever, and it's like, yeah, my, my, my grandmother broke her pinky toe. And she's in the hospital. Oh, I'll be praying for you, man. Like, I'm sorry. You're, you're a Christian? For real? Like, for real. Talk to me for a second. Like, this one I'm really struggling. I need you to pray for me, too. But do you understand how much lingo is put out there? 
Like, I'm praying for you. What does that even mean now? What does that even mean? Like, I, I feel like I can't say that without falling into the fake crowd. I feel like I can't even say praise God without falling into the fake crowd. Like, I feel like I can't say amen without falling. In. Like, I, I seriously, I feel so surrounded by hypocrisy. In fact, I feel like most of the time when I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, I'm a hypocrite. It's like, I cannot get away from this. But here's how you can tell. The desires of your heart. And what changes the desires of your heart? It's the Holy Spirit. That's literally God living inside of you. God exists in three different people. God the Father, that's, the God, that's who we call God. And we have the Son, who is Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit, who Jesus sends to us whenever, or sent to us when he died. So that because he was here, and then he said, it's better for me to die and go so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? Jesus could only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit could be in every single one of our hearts all at once. Guiding us day in and day out, each one of our steps, without ever getting overwhelmed with how many people are following him. Because he's everywhere at once. There's no way that you could overwhelm the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, like, hey, Jesus, I'm really struggling with this. Can your Holy Spirit help me? He's not taking in a million other prayer requests and saying, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm, I get another, I'm getting another ring in here. I'm going to put you on hold. Hello? Yes, another prayer request. Hang on. Like, the Holy Spirit's with you wherever, with everybody that needs him. And that's how you know the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your salvation. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you're going to heaven if you have the Holy Spirit? How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit is if your desire is for God alone? And you will know that by the way you live, I promise you. I promise you, you can tell a difference. You won't have the question in your mind, am I a Christian or am I not? I don't know. I don't know if I'm actually going to heaven or not. You won't have that question unless, for instance, you've been a Christian for a very long time, you're struggling with sin, you're really doubting your salvation, and you're just like, you're struggling really bad. That's a whole different scenario. We're talking about like, you don't ever follow God and you go to church. That's what we're talking about. And you want to talk about my biggest passion? That's it. Because it, it literally haunts me. I'm like, I don't know who is actually a Christian and who actually is not. And how do I tell somebody that they are not? How do I convince them that they are not? How do I just like let, how do I let God just take over and just say, God, I want this person to know you like I do. Like they obviously do not know you because... It's just so obvious. Like, I, I, there's no connection there. Like, that's not my brother. That's not my sister. I do not sense the Holy Spirit in them, and they are not going to heaven. They think they are. That's a very, very, very scary thing. It's a very scary thing. And going a little bit further, it's people who follow after Christ, right? They have the Holy Spirit. It's a true, this is a true Christ follower. I'm not going to say Christian because everybody's a Christian. Right? I'm not going to say that right now. We're going to make this distinction. How you have some Christians and you have true Christ followers. And these true Christ followers, they begin to walk in the faith. And then all of a sudden they come into a few temptations. And they let them overwhelm them. Not that they just fall into it, but they begin, they, they, they begin to actually indulge in these sins. 
Or what they do is, is they get saved and now they're good, right? They have no steps to take from here. They look the same five years from now as they did before, as they did right when they became a Christ follower. You know how much sense that makes? Zero. Makes zero sense. Absolutely none. Because you want to know what happens when you put new wine in new wineskins? It begins to stretch. It begins to grow. And now you put impure things into a thing of skin, of animal skin, and now when you cut it open, now it's pure. But you know what it had to do? It had to stretch. It had to be challenged. It had to be just stretched open to its full maximum capacity where it cannot stretch anymore. And you're continuing to press on. You're pressing on. You're pressing on. And all the while, the inside of you is growing and growing day in and day out. That's what the picture is. We cannot follow Christ and then not continue to take steps towards him. That makes zero sense. In fact, that might actually point to the fact that you never followed Christ in the first place. When you're continuing, you listen to the same music five years ago as you do today. That doesn't make any sense. If you're not struggling with that, I don't know what to say. If you're still using the same language that you did five years ago as you do today, I don't know what to say. All I know is that you might want to check your salvation. If you're coming in here Wednesday and Sunday, Wednesday and Sunday, and your life looks like this, straight across the board, and the fact that you never actually go and intently share the gospel, you need to ask yourself some questions. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're a true Christ follower and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you know what you want to do? You want to go share the gospel. Okay, that's, that's really hard. That's really awkward. That may be something you say, well, I don't really actually want to. I'm going to tell you something. You'll be miserable if you don't. That's what makes you want to. Because if you just sit around in your house and do nothing, watch TV, go to work, come back home, take care of your family, go to your kids' baseball game, do this, do that, go to your sporting event, play basketball, play football, go to school, whatever. You go do that every single day, and what you don't do is share the gospel. I, it's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. That's what that is. That's ridiculous. That's not Christianity. I'm just saying that's not Christianity. That's America. That's, that's you living in your own world, fitting your desires in with God's desires, and you're making your own little mutation there. It's actually not Christianity at all. And what's crazy is we actually think that is. We think, oh, I, just, I don't read my Bible as much as I should. That's the, I literally get that answer so much. I get that answer so much. I don't even ask the question, I get that answer. Well, I don't share the gospel as much as I should. Well, who does? I mean, good Lord, what do you think, 15 times a day is enough? What are you, you going to say? Well, I, share, I share the gospel as much as I should. Yeah, I did at least 15 times a day. Now, you would never say that, first of all, because it's really not enough. There's no, there's no much like, as I should. There's really not a standard there. It's do you do it? What it tells me is when you say, I don't read the Bible as much as I should. What it tells me when you say, I don't share the gospel as much as I should, that tells me you don't do it at all. That may, you might read a verse here and there. You might open your Bible app and read the verse of the day. Like, that's all you do. Come on. Do you really consider that following Christ? Just like when God said, do you really think that fasting is going to please me? 
Do you really think reading one verse a day and just kind of thinking about it for five seconds? Do you remember the verse you read this morning? Did you read the Bible this morning? If you did, what do, you, do you remember it? James says that it's like going to a mirror, turning around and forgetting what you look like if you go to God's Word and read it and forget what you read. That's not good. He said that's bad. Do you read it let it penetrate your heart? You cannot fit your lifestyle in with God. That does not work. It does not work that way. You know how it works? Is when you say, I have a new life, and I'm going to put it into a new skin, a new body. God has raised me from the dead spiritually, and now I'm alive to him. So now I have a new wine and new wine skins. You're not putting your old self into new wine skin, into Christianity. That's not, that's not what it's doing. You're a new person. Act like it. Don't fall into the, the temptation of this world. Don't be conformed by this world, but be renewed. Be renewed. Let your mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind by reading God's word. In Romans chapter 12 says it's, he's changing the way you think. He's changing the way you think. Is God changing the way you think? He might be doing it right now, and you may be ignoring it. Are you letting God change the way you think? That's what, that's what Christianity is. It's the whole Bible, not just a little bit. It's every verse of the Bible, not just John 3, 16. It's every day of your life, not just the day you got saved. It's every day of your life to the end of your life. Because you know why? You love God. It's not because you have to, because you don't. It's because you love him. It's because, hey, he saved me. He did not have to save me. He did not have to show me his grace, but he pursued me, and now I am his. Now I rest in him. Now I trust in him. Now I follow his lead. Now I am guided by him. Now I want others to know him. That's why I follow Christ, not because it's a cool thing to do, not because this church is real hip, not because the music is fun. I don't follow Christ for any of those reasons, but because I met him personally, and I love him. Do you follow Christ for the same reasons, for the same reason? Because it's not a benefit to you. That's not why you follow him. You follow him because he gave his life for you. And you recognize your sin. You recognize his perfection, and what happens, you're humbled. He gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. Where do you stand tonight? I'm just going to say something. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. Are you truly a Christ follower? And if you're not, you do not have to feel pressured to come down here, give your life to Christ, say amen, get baptized right here, right now. That's not the question. I'm not, I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want God? Because if you want him, you can have him. He gave his life for you. He loves you. He loves you more than you love you. But if you don't want him, it's fine. It's fine. Just don't, just don't call yourself a Christian. Just don't do that. Please, please don't make it harder on the rest of us. Because let me tell you something. It's very hard living here. It's very, 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 very hard. Because you can't tell the wheat from the tares. Everybody looks the same. Everybody goes to church. Everybody does this. Everybody gives. Everybody prays. Everybody goes this way and dresses this way and whatever. Even, I mean, there's even churches that wear skinny jeans with holes in them and hats backwards and all this. I mean, like the hip, you know, there's even, there's even churches like that. And everybody's like, well, if I dress like that, I'm a Christian. 
If I wear a three-piece suit and a tie, you know, I'm a Christian. It's not how you dress, not how you look on the outside. It's about the heart. It's about your heart. Do you really think that's going to please God? Do you really think what you wear is going to please God? Because it won't. Do you think coming in here, do you think coming in this door, sitting in these chairs, pleases God? Do you think that you did your duty by coming in here and sitting down? No. Not even close. Because you don't have a duty. You need to believe. You need to believe. Stop being so prideful. Stop wanting your desires more than you want God. Stop being so selfish. Don't be so selfish. Get your eyes off the phone for a little while. Take your eyes off yourself for a little while. Recognize the world around you. Deal with the deep issues in your heart. Stop ignoring them. I'm going to tell you who knows them. There's only one person who knows them fully, better than you do, actually, is Jesus. He offers healing. He offers a deep cleansing. Your problem is sin. The answer is grace. Your problem is sin. And the answer is grace. So... We're going we're gonna to play a song, and we might play two because we don't have small groups. But we all need to deeply consider, every single one of us. I've been a Christian for eight years. That seems like a long time. There's probably someone in here that's been a Christian longer than me, but I've been a Christian for eight years, and I need God to deeply cleanse my heart at this point in time in my life. I need God to help me recognize this. I need God to, to make me desire him more so I'm not trying to fit what I want into his lifestyle that he wants for me. Everybody needs it. If you're not a Christian, you need it. If you are a Christian, you need it. If you are pretending to be a Christian, you're actually not. You need it. So, I'm going to pray. And this is a time for you to pray. It's the time for you to maybe come down here. This may be you letting go of your pride. Coming down here to these steps. Nothing special about them, but coming down here and being able to get on your knees and approach God and confess your sins or whatever, whatever you need to do. Maybe that time. You may need to grab somebody, pray with them, Pray for them, maybe. Or ask them to pray for you. This is, a, this is a time for you to humble yourself and to depend on another Christ follower. Get close, get back to God. Close that gap. Say, God, I need you. 